Do, 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 do. Welcome to the 2018 Mildly Pleased Criterion Draft, a uh, very exciting annual event, I guess now, where three men, based on their performance in last year's Criterion Month, <laughs> will try their best to draft the best possible list of 10 Criterion movies to watch this July and review. Those teams are Sean Lemmy, John Otney, and Colin Westman. And that's the order we're going to be going in this year. Oh, yeah. I guess because I'm the worst at this. I thought you said you're the best. You said it was based off of previous year's performance. I think I did the worst last year. Why do you think you did the worst? Because I have the least inspired choices. I'm, <laughs> I'm the most conventional, most like... Just trying to cross off the best movies of all time. I mean, sometimes you have to get in the essentials. I mean, it, these are sometimes their movies are like, oh, I'm going to watch it someday. But when is that day going to come? And that's the great thing about doing this Criterion Draft is you're finally forcing yourself to sit down and watch these things that you always said you're going to watch. Also, I feel like you gave out the most five star reviews last year. So is, <laughs> isn't that the the demarker of winning? <laughs> Maybe. Did anyone give a negative review? I gave a three to Two Lane Blacktop. I gave a three to One Eyed Jacks. <laughs> Both experimental movies in the room. I might right? have also given a three to Solaris. Oh man! <laughs> I can't believe you actually saw it. You actually sat through it. Uh, yeah, I really ended up not being a huge fan of shots of plants <laughs> in the water and long drawn out conversations about hallways. That might come up again, <laughs> and you'll see what I mean. Oh yeah, I think I, I think I can guess. Okay, so did anyone, everyone have a strategy or anything in particular this year? Colin, did you have a strategy for selecting your films? Um, it was it wasn't that different from last year's strategy was, which was to mainly do directors I either hadn't seen any of their movies or was not terribly familiar with their movies. Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these are directors where maybe I've seen one of their movies and I've wanted to check out more. And also I wanted to keep it a little varied in terms of the time period. Uh, although, <laughs> weirdly heavy on the 80s this year, which is maybe because I think I had zero movies from the 80s last year. <laughs> You're just in an 80s mood because we watch Stranger Things. Yeah, that's right. We can give our hot take on Stranger Things. <laughs> this just in, it's really boring, everyone. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry to say, it's really boring. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to come after me now. <laughs> Spambot Army. Uh, I bet you had a better time shotgunning the whole show in like a day than we had drawing it out one episode at a time <laughs> every week. Ugh. Anyways, Sean, did you have a strategy? I had several strategies. Um, unlike Colin, I was definitely like, let's first focus on directors that I've seen a lot of and know that I like, uh, especially directors that I saw in movies last year. Uh, also, huge priority for me, crossing off movies that I bought a long time ago and never watched. Um, I did at one time have a very brief idea of, I'll just do movies post-2000. Just to like really fuck things up and also lock down the end of July for all my posts. <laughs> give myself the most time to write. Um, but then, like, Colin already watched Yee, so 
That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would probably be the centerpiece of a 2000s Criterion watch for me. So, um, yeah, I'm just going. Oh, also, uh, made sure that it was on top of the stuff that I own, stuff that I could watch on Filmstruck. I think I only have to buy one disc this year, which is pretty good. Hmm. I never even think about that. Think about how I'm gonna how I'm gonna watch these. It's not a question. I'll find a way. Well, I was really just I. I uh, was going to watch Le Cirque Rouge this year, um, but I found out it is out of print and very expensive and also not on Filmstruck, so wow. that sort of thing can happen. I think my strategy for if they're not on Filmstruck is I'll just renew my Netflix disc <laughs> subscription oh, yeah. for a month. Well, hopefully I don't run into any of that for my list. For my list, what I did... Is I wanted to get a good span of uh, a lot of different time periods, so I went with every pick is a different decade. So I went from Whoa. the twenties to the two thousand tens. Hundred years of movies, <laughs> basically, and that means that I'll have something. You know, I'll pop up in like every spot of the the month. So, depending though, if like complex like a lot of eighties movies, then like oh, it might be a while till you hear from me for a period of time. <laughs> Only having one pick in the eighties. Um, but yeah, no, I just picked all. Oh, shit. I don't have any picks in the eighties. I picked all those. That's good. He's, he's <laughs> got to make up for it. He didn't pick any of mine. And also, just if anyone doesn't know, the reason um, we do this is because in July they do a big uh, Criterion sale at Barnes Noble. I don't know if that's also at their website. Maybe not sure about that, but it's definitely at Barnes Noble. It's a huge sale. I used to work at Barnes Noble, and I can tell you the super fans come out in droves. They pre-order. So much they spend so much money. It's a big deal within the Criterion community, and we're doing it now. I think I think part, partially because the NFL draft is going on, so it's like, oh yeah, we should do our draft. It gives plenty of time to watch the movies, think mm-hmm. about them, write them in advance if we have a busy summer. And also, I think if we're going back to football, I think training camp usually starts in like June or July, so it's like <laughs> the timeline works out basically. The two most obvious uh, media to connect. Football and art house cinema. Basically. Okay, so I think that's enough setup. So, Sean, when you're ready, the number one pick in the Criterion Draft is yours. Okay, good, because this is the one I'm most afraid we might have already written about on the blog. Okay. Uh, Black Narcissus by the Archers. No. I've seen it, but I okay. never wrote about it. <laughs> so the Archers, a.k.a. Powell and Pressburger, the, the creative team behind uh, Colonel Blimp. Um, did we watch an Archers movie last year? I don't even remember. I don't think so. No. I know I, I've watched The Red Shoes with Colin at some point and really liked that. I bet Peeping Tom has been reviewed on the blog. Oh, that's right. I think I was trying to watch Peeping Tom for the Halloween thing, and I got shut down. Yeah. Um, but Black Narcissus, probably the next most famous movie of theirs, besides the ones we've just talked about. Yes, but not the next best. Okay. But that's okay, because I think the next best one isn't coming out for like a couple months on Criterion, which would be a, a matter of life and death. But this one's oh, pretty yeah. good. Um, like... All these movies that came out in the 1940s. This one is 1947. It's the story of um, nuns who moved to the Himalayas. Sounds right. And um, and they're like their faith is tested and their shit falls apart. It sounds like maybe it, maybe it all goes really good. 
but uh, <laughs> all goes really good. That sounds like a good no movie. Conflict. All goes really good. <laughs> um, but there's some pretty haunting screenshots of this movie that I've seen, and, and the Criterion poster looks like somebody about to jump to their death. Uh, I think it won an Academy Award for cinematography. I think. No, that'd be interesting. A foreign that. movie winning that. I mean, it happens every once in a while, but it's always interesting. I guess not that foreign. Yeah, British. British. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not. It's not too long, and it sounds interesting, and it's got a cool title. I don't know what a narcissus is. I assume it's like a Christian jewel. <laughs> That's why. Isn't it a flower? Okay, <laughs> it's a flower. <laughs> no, I take a shot. It could also be a jewel. When I hear that title, I always get confused at that one black exploitation movie. It's a movie called Black Caesar or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's in the Criterion collection yet. With like Fred Williamson, maybe <laughs> killing people. But I assume that's just like really British weird thing. Sounds like fun. Maybe I haven't really <laughs> seen a lot of their films, so I don't know. I'm not a good judge. Uh, okay, I guess I'll go. You know, it's it's good to keep it brief, and we like don't always know all the facts. <laughs> I certainly don't know a lot about my next film, which is why I want to see it, and I feel like it comes up from time to time about people wanting to watch it, and that's Persona, my '60s pick. I I feel like I had to get it in because I feel like Sean may have wanted to watch it. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, Ingmar Bergman, uh, nurse taking care of a mute actress, right? Colin, you know all about this stuff. Yep. <laughs> and just hearing some of the people talk about like what it all means is like, okay, well, this is clearly a, like this is a movie I have to check out. My favorite little snippet about it was um, it's right here. The film with its themes of duality, insanity, and personal identity has been interpreted as depicting the Jungian theory of persona and explores cinema, vampire mythology, lesbianism, motherhood, abortion, and other subjects. Ooh. And then this other bit that I really love from historian Peter Cowie, everything one says about Persona may be contradicted. The opposite will also be true. <laughs> so I think people are going to be really excited for my take on this <laughs> uh, for such an experimental film. Colin, your thoughts on Persona? Yeah, no, it's a, a crazy, uh, <laughs> thematically rich kind of just, uh, yeah, it's one of the best movies ever. And luckily, I own a fatty blu-ray edition of the criterion and it's i don't know i feel weird that i own such a thick criterion for a movie that's like 80 minutes, minutes long 84 minutes. I'm yeah. Looking at it right now. and it's yeah it's just kind of like a burst of, of i don't know images and insanity and uh yeah yeah you could make a case that it's the best bergman movie even though it's it's also by far the most experimental of his. All right, yeah, I see that David Lynch is a big fan, so that <laughs> intrigues me as well. Um, and I think it'll finally help me appreciate that Animaniacs episode that's like a tribute to Igmar Bergman that we all watched on Hulu <laughs> once at like 2 in the morning. I don't know if that's true. I don't feel like there are any persona <laughs> references in that. I feel like Didn't, it was mainly. I'm sure they did like the framing of the faces. Isn't that from? Persona? I guess, but that is that's in like all of his movies. I feel like it's most closely associated with persona, though. That maybe. At least that's what I think when I yeah. think of those the way those faces are framed. 
I will also say I'm being quiet right now because John, for the first time in the history of this podcast, you have denied me one of my picks. Oh, that's shit. why I was like the order is important because I knew, <laughs> I, knew I, I knew you wanted this one because I remember you wanted to, you talked about wanting to do it for the Halloween since people say that it's like I mentioned that thing of vampire mythology and all the weird <laughs> shit. So it's like maybe it'll fit. I hope you had a backup, John. I've got a bunch of backups. That's okay. the thing I gotta choose which one I want to go with. It's good. All right, so my movie, also directed by Michael Powell, but also directed by like two other people and then three other uncredited people, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, this is The Thief of Baghdad, which I don't know much about. It's a fantasy technicolor epic British movie, I think like a remake of a 1920s um silent movie yeah, i was gonna say how many times has that movie been made right? yeah isn't there like a, a cartoon version too probably and the, well, this is just the one that's on <laughs> criterion <laughs> and i was i was watching some clips of it it just looks really kooky and lots of like you know primitive special effects that also look like kind of fun like there's a giant genie in it and there's like one part where the main character's like running away from like a giant like molded foot that's like coming after him oh. and, uh yeah it just looks interesting i'm sure it'll be uh you know questionable in terms of its casting because i'm sure there are plenty of british people in this movie in brown face but it also has an Indian actor as like one of the main characters, so I don't know. We'll see. Do you know why it has so many directors? No. Is it like it was too epic? Is it people know. collaborating or is it people being like, oh it's, man, fuck this? It's, it's more like a Gone with the Wind kind of scenario, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's just like they had to get it finished, so they just had a bunch of hired hands come on to I make think it. Gone with the Wind even has maybe some uncredited people who may have directed a few scenes. Yeah. What was the sorry? Um, one more time. What was the year of this movie again? Uh, nineteen forty. Nineteen forty. And did you said epic? Was it? Is it really long? Or is it oh, it's not really long. It just looks epic, epic in scope. Matter. It's only uh, one hundred and six minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah. The only thing about Thief of Baghdad is there's that animated movie that took like fifty years to make. You guys know about that one? No. Like, maybe forty years is like a movie that came out in the early '90s by an animator who was working on it for so many years. Hmm. Of course, by the time he finally did come out, Aladdin had come out. So they're like, let's make it more like Aladdin. <laughs> huh. And yeah, that's a movie to check out. There's like dead people in it. Like it's got Vincent Price in it, even though it came out in like mid '90s. Yeah. So apparently it's a story that many people have wanted to tell multiple times so it must be an interesting story um so sean it's back to you when you're ready unless you need more time no um my next pick uh is one that i bought um you guys just tell me how good it is on a scale of (laughs) 10 out of 10 to 11 out of 10 uh it's uh vittorio de sica's bicycle thieves Wait, wait, what was the scale? <laughs> Did you say 10 out of 10 or 11 out of 10? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? It's like, so I can go up to 11? You can go up to 11 if you like. It's the greatest movie of all time. So if I say it's 11, I am establishing it's the greatest movie of all yeah. time. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I, I have seen this movie, and I like this movie. I will not say it's the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, by that metric, I give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I also give it a 10 out of 10. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's part of that. What do they call that movement? I watched one of those movies last year. It's Neo, Italian neorealism. Neorealism, where it doesn't have professional actors, and it's like a pretty... It's more of like a character study, and the plot kind of moves leisurely but like at the same time it's like it's 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 totally like a realistic like compelling story and it's yeah it's pretty emotional it's fantastic and it's i feel like it's not super long either which is always a plus for me <laughs> also for most of my life i thought this movie was called the bicycle thief but when i bought it i was like actually it's plural it's bicycle thieves I think it's one of those things that has been translated incorrectly at certain times so who knows uh, yeah, no, I watched that in college, and I remember uh, it was like a, an English professor teaching it, and he was like overanalyzing the shit out of it. I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, look, look when he looks at his shadow. Did I was you like, raise your hand and then <laughs> say that to him? Can you shut the fuck up, please? <laughs> but no, I love that movie. That's the reason I watched um, Umberto D last year. It's the same director, right? I think so, yeah. Victoria de Sica. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Really good. I, it's one I also watched in college, but I feel like I'd watched it also before college. Uh, so I've seen it twice. And it, yeah, it's good. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a movie that like overwhelms me with how amazing it is, but I guess it's not like trying to because it's so, you know, kind of stark and downbeat. But yeah, it's good. And they paid homage to it in Master of None last season, which was interesting. Yeah, I remember that. I remember feeling like, oh shit, I should watch that movie that I bought. And that was a full year ago, so here we are. I think I watched, uh, well no, I know I watched Love and Torah, which was referenced in it also. So, yeah, there you go. All right, um, back to me. Uh, sticking with France, because they just, they just have so many movies that I gotta see. I feel like most... France was my most represented country last year, and I feel like overall it was probably the most represented country. Probably, probably. maybe <laughs> apart from maybe the United States, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. And it is the rules of the game, which I assume is a prequel to the Michael Douglas movie, The Game, where they get more into the rules of it. <laughs> but no, I have never seen this. I thought when I took French cinema, which is a class I took in college, that we would for sure watch it. We never watched it. I don't really know anything about it. I know it's Jean Renoir or Renard, whatever. I feel like if you say a French name fast enough, no one will correct you. So I'll just go Jean Renoir. Renoir. <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of his movies, even though I feel like this is maybe the most celebrated French movie of all time. You know, people saying like, oh, this is like the Citizen Kane of French movies. And anyone who says that makes me wonder what this could be. I don't even know tonally. Is this like like farce? Like what, 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 what are we talking tone-wise? Is this just a drama? Colin, you've seen this probably. Yeah, yeah. you're right to assume that. <laughs> I, I feel like it's a, a drama with hints of satire in it, I suppose. I would kind of like to watch this movie again. I feel like a lot of it is about commentary between... Uh, you know the upper and lower classes of society and I feel like that might have been lost on me a bit I probably watched it when I was like 18 or 19 um, and I remember liking it but I wasn't yeah I don't think I came away from it thinking it was one of the greatest movies of all time but again uh, it might be worth a rewatch for me um, I think the only other one of Renoir's movies I've seen is 
uh, Grand Illusion, which is also pretty good. Uh, yes, I feel like I know the poster. Yeah, it's like the one where it's like, is that Orson Welles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also intrigued reading that it was kind of made at the height of the the rise of like Nazism and how Jean Renoir was like, fuck that shit. <laughs> And for some reason, this film coming out at that time was controversial somehow. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if any of that is in the film in any way. But I'll I'll read more into it, and hopefully when I review it, I'll explore more of that too, when the time period it came out. Yeah. I think it was the most expensive French movie made at the time. Weird. Which is weird. Because <laughs> I feel like it all just like takes place at a rich person's well, estate. Well, maybe it was like the best house. It's the best house. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, seems like a pretty good house. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, rules of the game, nineteen thirty-nine. My thirties pick. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we mentioned that being shot or just going chronologically. I guess so. I'm sticking in the forties. My movie is Woman of the Year, which is a Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie. Um, I just watched Adam's Rib for the first time, which was. The first uh, Tracy Hepburn movie I'd seen, so I was interested to check out more because I really loved Adam's Rib. And um, this one seems interesting because I've seen a few clips of it, and Spencer Tracy actually looks like a young person in this movie. <laughs> where every movie I've seen him in, he looks so fucking old. <laughs> so it will be nice to see him as a dapper young man. Uh, I don't know much about the plot of this movie. I think it's... Uh, it sounds kind of similar to uh, His Girl Friday, where it's like a screwball comedy set against like a newspaper background. And it's also interesting to me because it was directed by um, George Stevens, who I read about in um, this book, uh, Five Came Back, which is about the directors that went to go like serve in World War II and film. Um, like newsreel and propaganda stuff uh, and George Stevens seemed like he was really affected by his time in World War II because before he went off to war he made nothing but like you know light comedies like like this one and then afterwards he just pretty much made all dramas like Shane and Giant and A Place in the Sun and stuff like that and uh, yeah I haven't seen Oh, I guess I have seen some of his early movies. He did Gunga Din. But, uh, oh, and Swing Time. I've seen that, too. But, yeah, I don't know. This just seemed interesting to me because it just came out on Criterion, and I wanted to see more Tracy and Hepburn. And written by Ring Lardner Jr., who wrote MASH, hmm. which is interesting. He was one of those. I think he was blacklisted. Uh, he was, yeah. Also, you mentioned Five Came Back. Which, did you see that Netflix documentary series? No, I never got around to it. I feel yet. like I should check that out and then watch some of the films by those directors to really appreciate it. So, that. you were reading that book like when that documentary was coming out. That was just a coincidence? Yeah, I'd heard about the book before the documentary came out. Weird. <laughs> if, I'd, if I heard there was a documentary coming out, I would have tossed that book and just watched the documentary. Yeah. Reading, reading sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, that's got like Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Cool guys. Yep. Any cool guys in your next pick, Sean? Uh, my next pick is all about cool guys. Uh, I've moved on to the 1950s at this point. Um, my pick is The Importance of Being Earnest, which is a... All about cool guys? Really? <laughs> it is a, uh, it's a farce uh, based on a play by Oscar Wilde. 
I, th I think it's just about two dudes who are like are just lying to everyone about who they are um, thus it being a farce um, it's it's a movie that has been praised for its acting and its comedy uh, which is just not something you hear about a lot of 1950s movies um, and so that interests me and it's like it's a British comedy too um, I haven't seen a lot of British comedies in my life um, it's directed by Anthony Asquith who I don't know who that is uh, maybe maybe that's somebody who's made other famous movies I don't know I don't think so glancing <laughs> over his Wikipedia page um, I see uh, Pig Million is him, uh, but I don't. I just know that title. I don't even know what that movie is. Hmm. Yeah, this is a pretty British filmography. I'm taking a quick glance at it. Uh, a lot of movies, though. A lot of movies in this. I love the poster to this too. It looks like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> <laughs> looks like that's. It looks like Terry Jones wearing a hat with three on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it like Ernest is a character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope it's at least that funny. <laughs> oh, no! So, what, what made you uh, want to pick yeah, this, this one, This is interesting. Really. Uh, what made me want to pick this one is you picked Persona, and so I had to go through my list really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But I'm sure it'll still be good. But still, there had to have been a reason that you picked this as a backup. It's a, I, I guess I'm interested in Oscar Wilde, and this is a very easy way to expose yeah, myself sure. to some Good Oscar movie. Wilde material. Um, I, it's one of his more famous plays, mm -hmm. and this is supposedly the best adaptation of it. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's not even the best version of this movie. But it is in the Criterion Collection, so... Well, I'll check out the special features, see if somebody else can explain why it's so <laughs> important. <laughs> All right. Importance of being honest. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my number three pick, I kind of alluded to this earlier. It is Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker, which came out on Criterion, I think, just last year. This is a, I assume, very long, 161-minute kind of, kind of experimental sci-fi film based off the novel Roadside Picnic. And to my understanding, this is about some weird-looking dude uh, who I think is referred to as a stalker who guides people through um, an area called The Zone to try to get to this room where apparently if you can get to this room, all of your dreams will come true and your innermost desires. And he's kind of taking them as, uh, across like this desolate landscape, and I think they filmed it at a handful of like abandoned nuclear power plants. So the imagery in this movie is amazing, and the stalker guy keeps telling that there's traps that they can't see hidden all around the zone. And uh, I have seen most of Solaris, and it wasn't quite my cup of tea, so I'm a little worried about this. I'm sure it'll be very much long, drawn-out shots where it doesn't seem like a lot's happening, but... I think the fact that it takes place in kind of like a post-apocalypse will be cool imagery because um, all the pictures I've seen look amazing. I think I read something too, like this movie's 161 minutes but only has 141 shots. So there's like four or five minute unbroken <laughs> shots of just something happening. Um, Which might be leaves turning <laughs> color. But like, yeah, but like I'm saying, I'm thinking because of the cool locations, it'll be worth looking at, you know? Mm. It'll be like watching one of those weird, like, quagga and movies, <laughs> but with people in it. Yeah. 
and more gr- and way more gritty. This is definitely like a big um, influence on a lot of sci-fi directors. Um, my brother's a huge fan of this movie. He's like, you gotta see it, man. You gotta check it out. So everyone's telling me to check it out. Uh, how uh, you know? It can't be that boring. I'm giving I'm giving Tarkovsky another shot, man. This is probably his second biggest film after Solaris. I yeah, think. I've heard a lot of good things about this one over the past year. Uh, um, I don't even want to talk about it. YouTube <laughs> YouTube video essays talk about this movie a lot. I mean, sure. Also, with always the fear of nuclear fallout, this movie probably comes up quite a bit. <laughs> it's one of those ones that's, that's still relevant, always in the conversation. Um, I'm always interested about talking about movies made in Russia during the Cold War. It just seems interesting to me. Uh, so, yeah. Just Soviet sci-fi. It's not another swing and a miss for Tarkovsky <laughs> this year. That's... <laughs> I mean, I didn't like it. Sean didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. I say I'll go with that. Swing and a miss. It's okay. We can say that. He's just got a very, very different outlook than we do. Like interviews with Tarkovsky, he's just like, "Fuck movies. Fuck trying to entertain people. Like you should be bored when you watch a film because that's what life Direct is like." Yeah. All right. Uh, my next movie. Probably a little slow, but I hope it's enjoyable. It's uh, Late Spring, a film by Yasujiro Ozu. I watched Tokyo Story uh, last year for our Criterion, and I was like, I'm totally going to watch more Ozu movies after this. And I didn't, uh, I guess, (laughs) because they're slow and old and, you know, not in English. And it's just hard to get yourself to watch these kind of movies and be motivated but um this one's supposedly part of a trilogy the first uh movie in the trilogy and the third movie is supposedly tokyo story it looks like it has some of the same actors from tokyo story uh i'm guessing has kind of the same themes about post-war japan the tradition versus modernity conundrum (laughs) of that time period i guess uh, I don't know a lot about it, but I just wanted to watch more Ozu. Why though? What is it about Ozu? Because I really like Tokyo Story, and I haven't seen any. Other well, what are like the movies? motifs of an Ozu film? As someone that doesn't really know much about Ozu, again, only see one movie, but it seems like it's a lot about like the difference, the differences that exist between generations, and and yeah, like the a lot of imagery kind of about. Uh, you know, modern Japan against like all the old temples and things signifying uh, old Japan, and um, the, the way he frames shots is really cool. It's it's very like uh, I don't know, <laughs> very square. I guess <laughs> like uh, watching the movie Columbus last year, I could tell it was uh, influenced by a zoo, and and he has a style of of. Filming is actors where you kind of feel like you're in the same room as them or, or like having a conversation with them. It feels very intimate, I think. Again, only seen one of his movies, but like you could definitely tell the traits that people talk about, uh, you know, just from watching that one movie and why why people like him. So I want to watch another of his films. Uh, I He's also famous for the uh, the. I can't remember what it's called, the bookend shot. The, he 
he shows a scene and then he'll cut to something totally unrelated and just show you, you know, like, here's a mountain real quick and then cut back to the scene. Yeah. Ah, oh, like the Psycho remake. <laughs> Which I would not recommend. <laughs> it does shit like that. It's like stab a shot of trees. Hmm. It's the one thing that's different about it. It has more trees. Than the well, it just it has random cutaways to stuff. Yeah. Weird, Weird movie. <laughs> probably was not the right movie to bring up right now. It makes no sense. Um, my next pick has a lot to do with what we've been talking about. It is part of a trilogy. Um, it is also uh, the director was inspired to do it uh, in part because of Bicycle Thieves and in part because of meeting Jean Renoir. So <laughs> it all ties together. Um, this is Satya Jeet's Ray's. Uh, Panther Panchali, which is the first of three movies in the Apu trilogy, um, which is uh, a story of this um, man. I, I think the first one it's set in a in in rural India, uh, and it shows his the story of his high caste family uh, who's struggling uh, financially, uh, and what his his uh, experience growing up in that is like. But then I think the sequels. Are um, the second one he's like a young man, and the third one he's he's an adult. Um, so it, it kind of follows um, this this guy Apu's life. Um, and I'm gonna try to watch all of them, but I'll only review the first one. Um, another one, where I'm try- I'm not trying to spoil it uh, by reading too much about it, but it's it's definitely talked about a lot on uh, on people's greatest films of all time lists and. Um, I think film spotting especially liked it at some point. I think that's what turned me on to it in the first place. Um, that's that's a podcast we all respect because those guys can talk about movies much better than we can. I think I think we, that's just it's what we, we just strive to, to <laughs> live up to, to what film spotting does. So um, definitely something I want to check out. Uh, I guess just. Just to keep everyone up to date, we're in the 1950s for my picks. This is uh, you guys are. This I'm is on an alternate timeline. <laughs> John's on his own timeline. This is 1955. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think um, the actors are anyone we've heard of, and, and I know it was shot on like a nothing budget, uh, but that shouldn't matter. So you said you're gonna watch the whole trilogy. I'm gonna try to. Yeah. How are you gonna fit that in with your other films? Are you gonna to try to watch it all within like one week, or are you gonna spread it out? That's a good question. Um, I do have a few other '50s movies, so if it comes down to the wire where I'm watching these around when I'm reviewing them, then I'm, I'm just gonna to have to wait. Um, but ideally, if I get out in front of this one, I'd, I'd like to be able to talk about Panther Penchali in the context of the Apu trilogy, not just on its own. Oh, I guess this is you know one of the reasons we start this early too. You can yeah. even get that shit way in advance. Yeah, but like, chances are I'm just gonna be watching the Avengers movies. So <laughs> <laughs> those are like as good. <laughs> yeah, I thought about um, picking one of the movies in the Apu trilogy because I also haven't seen any of them. And I know last year we both like took two movies out of the Three Colors trilogy, mm-hmm. but I was just like, nah. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess I just had a lot of other movies I wanted to see. You ended up liking Three Colors more than I did. Yeah, I know, and that could have been the case here, but 
Maybe I'll swap one in if someone takes one of my picks. <laughs> but I don't feel like that's going to happen. Probably not. Yeah. Also, music by Ravi Shankar. I did not know that. That's cool. Who is that? He's the guy who's always hanging out with George Harrison and the Beatles. <laughs> okay, cool. Sitarist. Um, father of What's-Her-Face. Nora Jones? Yeah, Nora Jones. That's so weird. <laughs> I always forget that. <laughs> Okay, so that's my number four pick on my alternate timeline. We're going back to the 40s, guys. These guys, I'm surprised how many times these guys have already come up. Uh, Powell and Pressburg. Nice. <laughs> um, the only movie I've seen that has any either of them is Michael Powell's Peeping Tom, which I loved, yeah. even if it destroyed his career. Um, and, but this is The Red Shoes. I feel like I'm going to start with one. Yeah. I'll go with The Red Shoes as opposed to Colonel Blimp. I don't know. I just feel like I'd like this one better. I feel like it comes up more often. People talk about how it's beautiful. You guys mentioned earlier that you've both seen this. What's so your take good. on that movie? It's one of the best movies ever. <laughs> I love it. It's pretty sweet. I can't remember uh, which filmmaker I heard was like sits down and watches it just when he wants to relax. It was like Martin Scorsese. Probably Scorsese. He Scorsese loves the shit out of this movie. <laughs> uh, what are we talking like? Like tone and style, like what kind of movie is this? I don't really know. It's definitely a drama, kind of a tragedy, I guess, but also has a really elegant, beautiful musical sequence at the center of it that's uh, great, and I feel like was really uh, influential on like a lot of the MGM musicals, like Singing in the Rain and stuff. We're hmm. we're, we're very influenced by the musical sequence in this movie. Uh, yeah, it's another Technicolor movie, which it uses color really well, and it's uh, yeah, just great. <laughs> okay, yeah, I I didn't take the time to really read anything about it. I'll be surprised by it. I also there's something in here about um, it has something to do with Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes. It's a fairy tale. It's Something like that. Okay, I don't remember. Well, I'll, I'll find out what that connection is, and I'll relay that later in my review in July. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll put it all together. Also, on a somewhat unrelated note, why are they called the archers? Is because they always hit their mark? Some some bullshit. <laughs> they have a little like card that comes out in front of their movies, where it's just like it's just like a target with an arrow hitting it. And why does it seem like Michael Powell made more films? Was he just the more? He's the more of the go getter of the I two. I feel like he was more of the director and. Pressburger was more of the writer. Oh, that's interesting. But they kind of did it as a collaboration. They're best guess. buddies. Yeah. <laughs> best bros. All right. The Red Shoes is my four. Colin. Um, I don't know. I feel like most of my picks are a little less known, and this movie. So cool. Well, I've just like seen all of the like really big like you go to see it as one of the greatest movies of all time. I've seen like most of those mm-hmm. that Criterion put out. This is, I think, kind of one of those. I feel like it's really highly regarded. It's called uh, the Battle of Algiers. Uh, Italian? Well, it says Italian Algerian war movie uh, about the Algerian War, which I know nothing about uh it's uh i don't know it's supposed to be kind of influential in the way it used sort of like documentary style to depict war as this really sort of visceral thing 
I don't know much else about it, but I, I felt like I needed to do like one movie that's like a, a big, highly regarded uh, international film. And this seems like one of those. Directed by... I don't know how to pronounce it. Gilo Pontecorvo. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't know if he ever did anything else that's that notable. It doesn't really seem like it, but... This seems to be a big one. Wow, music by Ennio Morricone. Nice. Anytime I see any name or anything that I recognize in a movie I know nothing about. <laughs> That's always a plus. something to work with, man. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the director is also credited with the music. Oh. That's cool. He's probably like, play these notes, dude. And Ennio Morricone's like, fuck you, but I will. <laughs> Oh, that's nice of him. I just like a very good working relationship. I just feel like if someone's telling you what notes to play, you should get out. Especially if you're working with any more coding. So this is a war film, then, right? Yep. Sounds like it. okay, gritty. It's but, interesting that adds a collaboration between Italy and Algeria, or they just yeah. filmed in Algeria. Or... I don't know. <laughs> that's something I know nothing about. So, yeah. I didn't even know there was an Algerian war until right now. How how pathetic is that? Lasted quite a while too, like eight years. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Shotgun, a Roberto Rossellini-inspired newsreel style in black and white with documentary-type editing. Interesting, because it says it's part of the Italian neo-realism, but it's a war movie. That sounds like a very interesting mashup. Also, it seems a little later than the neo-realist movement. It's nineteen sixty-six. Yeah, that is a little later. That's interesting. Hmm. All right, Sean, your number. What are we on? Do we still have, we have five? Five, right? Yeah, uh, my number five is the only one I have to go out and buy this year. <laughs> um, but it's a movie I've been very interested in for a long time as someone who gets to do graphic design because it's the <laughs> one uh, movie poster. That everyone's like, it's a pretty sweet movie poster, right? Anatomy of a Murder. Uh, yes. 1959 uh, Otto Preminger movie uh, about uh, a, a trial, right? It's a courtroom movie, Yeah, it's, right? a, it's a courtroom movie, yeah. Uh, but but done in the style of a thriller and a mystery, I guess. Yeah, it's like a, kind of a bit of a Hitchcock vibe. Yeah, and and the poster helps with that. Yeah, the Saul Bass poster and the Jimmy Stewart casting. And the Jimmy Stewart, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is the extent of things I know about this movie. Uh, besides the fact that it is part of the Criterion Collection, it came out in 1959. <laughs> I wish I could remember. I saw this um, when I was in like junior high, and remember really liking it, especially Jimmy Stewart, who's a little bit of an oddball in this. I feel like he's always like he's like knitting or something. At his, <laughs> so he's doing something. He's doing some activity during the whole trial back at his desk. Um, just a solid courtroom movie with a good mystery and some. A little bit of humor here and there. I feel like it very much feels like part of that kind of Hitchcock era or just tone. I feel like Otto Preminger kind of wishes he was Hitchcock. <laughs> but he had his own thing. Plus, he was the original Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Can't go wrong with that. But yeah, no. I yeah, I, I actually tend to really like uh, courtroom drama movies, and <laughs> so uh, for that reason alone, I'm pretty excited to check this one out. 
All right, cool. Anatomy of a Murder. All right, my number five um, is George Washington. Oh. Washington, Washington. <laughs> David Gordon Green's debut film, which, of course, launched his very successful career. Well, it's gone in all sorts of different directions. The Sitter. The Sitter. Oh, I'm really excited for Halloween, so this is probably what got the seed leak in my idea. My seed leak in my idea, and that came out really poorly. <laughs> I planted the seed for, for like, hey, I should check out some more David Gordon Green movies. I'm pretty excited for that. Also, they're both filmed in North Carolina, the new Halloween and his this film, I believe, is... Uh, he went to like film school, I think, in North Carolina, so that's why he said it there. Just about, like coming of age, also uh, dead kid movie <laughs> uh, yeah you know I, it's funny because we talk about these but I also try not to read too much because I don't want like just anything accidentally spoiled or anything yeah. but I really should prepare more um, Colin you've seen this right no you haven't I've I feel seen like you, seems like you would have I've seen all the real girls and I've seen I think it's called Undertow yeah yeah uh, that one guy looking like if my name is Earl uh, <laughs> like Josh Lucas I think yeah well yeah and so but no, I've never seen George Washington. I thought about this one as a pick. But. Yeah, a cast of unknown kid actors in kind of a depressed town in North Carolina. I think it's about a girl who was with this boy, um, and then uh, she breaks up with him, and then she meets this kid named George, and I believe he accidentally, I don't know if he, yeah, I think he accidentally kills her boyfriend, and they have to hide it. And another fact they, for some reason, bring up in the plot synopsis here is that he was born with a skull that never hardened after birth. So I'm very intrigued to see how that would play into the plot. Yeah. It seems like it can only be a tragic way. Um, the movie's described as kind of a southern gothic tale. And, yeah, that just sounds interesting to see a movie about kids in, like, a small town in North Carolina. It doesn't seem like the kind of movie I'd normally see or the kind of area that gets represented on film. And it'll be interesting to check out David Gordon Green back when he was apparently good. But I'm hoping he bounces back because he always he always picks. I, I want to say he always picks. You know, surprise. Well, he picks surprising projects. I'll say that. There's all you never know what you're gonna get from him. So it's all he's always someone to be like, oh, what's he up to? It's, it's not always the best project, but it'd be interesting to see him just starting off. Back when people are like, oh, he might be like a new Terrence Malick. <laughs> so I don't think Terrence Malick has made any films like Pineapple Express or The Sitter yet. Or Your Highness. What if Terrence Malick, because he's, he's coming out with a lot of films these days, he comes out with a slew of like really stupid stoner comedies. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still shot the same way. <laughs> it's like it's Seth like Rogen smoking weed, and then you see the weed go into space and then go into a black hole with like narration. Just as about to say something along the same lines. <laughs> you ever wonder where like your weed smoke goes after you smoke it? Like, does God see your weed smoke? Yeah, I want to see that movie. <laughs> well, there's still time. Yeah, there's still time. Yeah, George Washington is my number five. Colin, number five. I don't know like anything about this movie. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm sure Sean and I will be experts, and he can help you. With this. All right, help me out, guys. It's <laughs> by a director I've known. Uh, you know, a guy sort of like connected to the French New Wave, uh, Eric Romare. Mm-hmm. Uh, movie is My Night at Mods. Don't know much about it. Just sounds like it's just people hanging out in a hotel or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> just having conversations. And that sounds kind of interesting to me because I like movies that are just kind of people talking about stuff. But, uh, yeah, Wikipedia page isn't that insightful as to what it's about, but it's on Criterion. And I wanted to pick a director who I have not much knowledge of. I feel like it worked out pretty well last year. I guess this is sort of akin to my Rainier Werner Fassbender pick. But, and that turned out well. I liked that movie. So there you go. My Night at Mods. I never even heard of it. I really wanted to help you with this comment. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> never even heard of it. So I think you already, yeah, you already explained why you picked it. Um, it's okay. We can move on. I, know, I, just, I got I nothing wish I could to provide say. Anything. I think I said everything I have. Third in film, fourth in order of release in a series of six moral tales. That's interesting. What's that all about? You know what that's all about? No, I got no idea what that's all about. <laughs> Eric Romer. Okay. Yeah, I won't I won't drag out the time then not knowing anything about it. I'm just trying to real quick see if there's anything. Uh, this actor who stars in it looks familiar. <laughs> that's the best I can give you. Oh, he was in a moor. You guys see that? No. Michael and Hanukkah? Yeah. Really super depressing movie about old love. Of course. Oh my god, it's so it's so horrible, horrible in the way that it's sad. It's a good movie. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so this is probably back when he's like all spry, youthful, a youthful thirty nine years old. <laughs> all right. Cool. My night at mods. Sean, you number six. My number six. Well, last year we had this moment. Where I picked Jules and Jim, and I was like, I think I'd like it more than the 400 blows. And you guys were like, I don't know. And I ended up loving Jules and Jim. It might have been my favorite movie from last year's Criterion Month. Uh, so I'm not fucking around. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the 400 <laughs> blows this year. Uh, cool. Another French Francois Truffaut movie, 1959. I'm still in the 50s. Um, in my main timeline, as opposed to John's alternate timeline. I'm in the 60s, bro. I know. Head into the 70s. You're I just stopped cruising. by the two thousand. Where, where was I? I'm, just, I'm lost in time, guys. Two thousands, <laughs> I think, early two thousands. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. No, okay. That's, that's all I'm going to say about the Yeah, movies. I feel really bad because I kept saying like last February I was going to watch a bunch of Truffaut movies because that's part of like a series of mm-hmm. films that all star the same lead actor as he grows up. Like the original Boyhood in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't get to it. But I'm still intrigued by doing that someday, especially because they're all in film struck. But Foreign Blows is probably, that's definitely one of my favorite, if not favorite, foreign mm-hmm. movie of all time. It's like it's like sad, but it's like funny, and it's beautiful. It has that like eerily beautiful score that I have on my iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, sometimes I'll just put it on. It's kind of like whimsical. Um, but man, it's, uh, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, that was like the centerpiece of my French cinema class. And it's got that last shot, which I don't want to ruin anything. You might know about it. You probably you maybe have seen it. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that's that mentioning that shot. But it's like, what does that shot mean? No one really knows. So I'll be intrigued to see your take on it. That actor is just really good too. That kid. I don't know. They just found him somewhere. I think it's it's kind of like a. This is like they kidnapped him. <laughs> I think it's like sort of. Um, Autobiographical, a little bit. For that's, yeah, that's what I heard. I remember he even has like a, a bit part in the movie. He's like riding some weird ride. <laughs> it's like he's in his own movie about his life. 
but just like as a cameo, not as like I'm playing, I'm future you. <laughs> but no, love it. Good choice. Um, God, this is like the second time you picked a French movie, and then I pick another French movie. There's so many French movies. I picked a French movie too. <laughs> French, 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 French. <laughs> you pick another French movie, Colin. You immediately have to make it American. Uh, well, you're in luck. My next movie is not French. Okay. It is American. Well, mine is, and it's a movie that I watched part of back in the day, back in my bad days of watching stuff online that I wasn't supposed to, but I didn't finish it because it's super long, but I've, I've always wanted to finish it because it was good, and that's Blue is the Warmest Color. It's my 2010s pick. So, of course, a French movie. From 2013, about a girl who falls in love with another girl, lesbian coming-of-age movie that takes place. I think it's over a long span of time. That's why it's 179 minutes. I also believe it's based off a graphic novel, I want to say, where the only color, it's black and white, but the blue always is prominent in the comic. And also, the uh, one of the female characters has blue hair, and that's Leah Sado's character. Obviously, she has gone on to some post-success since that movie, which is kind of a breakout for yeah, her. Yeah, James Bond's girlfriend. And I think it may have been nominated for like the foreign Oscar that year. Um, but no, I love uh, coming-of-age romance movies. Um, I am intrigued by the fact that it is so long, that it does span such a, a, a long amount of time, considering it's a movie about relationships and, and whatnot, so... I'm thinking about maybe watching the graph, watching, reading the graphic novel as well. If I can get my hands on it, I'm pretty sure it's fairly well known. I'm not sure when it was written. I'd probably say the 2000s if I had to guess. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. You guys haven't seen this, right? No, I haven't. Yeah. Gotta, the only thing I remember about this movie is that there was a lot of um, criticism when it was screened at. Um, can or, or wherever the, the the sex scenes were too long and too graphic. Mm, interesting. People always boo at can. That's like the thing. You just gotta boo <laughs> boo it all. That intrigues me more. So look forward to checking that out. That is my number six. Blue is the warmest color. Calling you number six. My number six will probably have some graphic something. Okay. <laughs> Possibly and probably sex. Uh, it's multiple maniacs the john waters movie mm, yeah. uh i had a good time <laughs> kind of, I, don't, I don't even know how to go on an, an, <laughs> an apologetic good time i suppose watching beyond the valley of the dolls uh, uh last year and i know john waters was very influenced by russ meyer i think he gives like an extended interview on the beyond the valley of the dolls uh criterion blu-ray uh, and this is another movie I expect to just kind of play with uh, the the borders of taste and shock value. And, you know, I, I actually probably would have seen Pink Flamingos if it was on Criterion for some reason. This one and also uh, Female Trouble, which I've actually seen. I saw it in college. Uh, those are on Criterion for some reason. But I just, you know, wanted to see another John Waters movie because... I don't remember that other one that well, but I remember, you know, being both disgusted and abused at the same time, which is an interesting <laughs> thing to feel while watching a movie. Is this the one where they eat puke? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's one where Divine eats dog shit, but is this the one where th they eat puke? I think Pig Flamingos is dog shit. This must be puke. It must be the one where they eat puke. <laughs> 
yeah, let's we'll, we'll see. I've always wanted to get more into John Waters, just yeah, because of the campiness and the, the random stuff he does. Like he wants to that film that came with like a scratch and sniff card when he saw it in theaters. Yeah, it's like he's clearly just having like a lot of fun and including actors who are basically just his friends yeah. in Baltimore <laughs> and making movies. That's another cool thing to think that someone was making all these weird films like so far from Hollywood. Yeah, it's such an eccentric group of people, you know. Uh, I, I'm really surprised I haven't seen more John Waters. I've seen, I've barely seen anything. So I might sit in for that. <laughs> Though I might, you know, I might put my fingers over have my to eyes. Duck out at a certain point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I watched um, after I watched what was that movie I watched last year? Sallow, 120 oh, Days oh of Sodom. God. I can do anything because <laughs> that movie had eating shit in space nonstop eating shit basically there's a good chunk of that movie that's just eating shit but like and like nice plates and stuff by the way John I gotta say again as a roommate I really appreciate you watching that movie in secret <laughs> me never not never having to say a single frame of that movie it was was appreciated yeah I watched that for our Halloween uh, criterion <laughs> and holy shit it was my least favorite film it's sadistic and horrible and I you know, it's crazy like that that filmmaker got killed basically right after he made it too. It's just there's just so much about the film that's insane. Um, don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. This sounds like something that's w- way more fun. <laughs> Multiple maniacs, nice. Sean, your seven. My number seven is probably the Criterion movie I've owned the longest without having watched. With that clue, can either of you guess what it is? Harakiri? Harakiri. <laughs> Japanese film from 1962, directed by Masaki uh, Kobayashi. Um, I know just the setup, which is um, that a, uh, a ronin, a masterless samurai, uh, goes um, to some lord's estate. And asked to commit suicide, or harakiri, or, or seppuku. I don't really know the difference between the two terms. Um, and um, and and there's like the is he is does he actually want to commit suicide to like restore his name or in his, and his honor, or is it a ploy to like get a job for the Lord? Um, and I guess that the whole thing just turns into this massive conflict. Um, so it sounds like a very, very Japanese story uh, of, of samurai trying to commit suicide. Um, but it's you know it's, it's one of those movies that's been praised for its acting and its cinematography. Um, you know, it's, it's I'm I think I'm one, another one of the samurai films that's that had an influential effect on. Um, westerns that followed it uh got 100 percent on rotten tomatoes <laughs> so you know it's good it's toy story 2 good <laughs> i saw multiple maniacs also at 100 percent fucking <laughs> so, nice that is uh that's toy story 2 good as well <laughs> probably for most of the same reasons yeah. <laughs> i watched kobayashi's follow-up to this movie for our halloween one uh quite on and if I can bring away something positive from Quite On, it had some of the best set design I've ever seen in a movie. It was all done on sound stages, and it was really cool. I don't know if there's it still did the same thing, 
uh, with Harakiri, but even so, like the set design, I'm sure will be really cool and is super colorful and yeah, and it's just cool revisiting like Japanese folklore and you can find, kind of feel like you get a little bit of history along with some entertainment. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I assume this is long. Quidon was like the long, like so long. Yeah, it it's like eight long. years. It's like over two hours. <laughs> but oh. I've owned it for such a long time. And the, I, ironically, I'll, I'm just going to watch it on Filmstruck because I'll be able to stream it in HD versus my standard depth Blu-ray. But the important things that I that I see it right. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for finally tackling that that mountain. <laughs> All right. Tackling that mountain is a great phrase that people <laughs> should say way more often. Gotta tackle that mountain. Climb that mountain. Let's go tackle that mountain. Tackle that mountain. <laughs> Just jump at it. There's only one way to go about it. What if that's like? That was the tradition. You climb the mountain and you tackle. It. You tackle that mountain. You, you get, get up to the point where you can tackle. You, that you do mountain. a WWF wrestling move on it <laughs> I'll to show that that mountain. that mountain is your bitch. That'd be badass. My next film, I assume, is so badass. It's also a Japanese movie. Uh, we're going back to the 50s with this one. This is a movie that I've always wanted to see ever since I found out about one scene and how they did it. And it's a movie, really, the only way you can say the title is Throne of Blood. This is Akira Kurosawa. This is a movie that is basically Macbeth, but with samurais. And the reason I want to see it is it has a very famous scene where, of course, it's Toshiro Mifune is being shot at with a shitload of arrows in this enclosed area. And the reason that's so cool is they used real arrows <laughs> that they fired at him, and he had to follow very specific um, choreography, or he would maybe get killed. <laughs> and that just sounds badass. Um, that scene is pretty action-packed, so I'm hoping the rest is. Um, I've liked every Kurosawa samurai movie I've seen. I've liked every Kurosawa movie I've seen. Um, the only thing is, I feel like there's just so many of them. So mm. it's gonna be cool to to get into another Mifuni samurai action drama. Uh, it's also known as Spider Web Castle, which is a sweet title. <laughs> yeah, this just sounds like super entertaining, and I, I think that's what I love so much about Kurosawa. Is, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I gotta watch old Japanese movie, but it's like the action in those movies <laughs> is so great. Do you, do you think Spiderweb Castle is a better title than Throne of Blood? They're, yes. they're both pretty good titles. They are good. I like Spiderweb Castle. Throne of Blood sounds like a... Well, I don't know. Spiderweb <laughs> Castle is more unique. Yeah. I would say. I don't know if that means like this all takes place in a castle. If it's Macbeth, I assume it follows that fairly closely. I've seen it. Okay. Like, if you didn't know any better, Throne of Blood sounds like a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Is it as entertaining as I'm hoping, Colin? The arrow scene, right? That's that's intense stuff. Okay. I don't think I knew that that shit was real when I saw it, but I guess it's like, how else could it be? You can't really fire a fake arrow. <laughs> I guess they could have done like shitty '50s like blue screen arrows, but that just looked terrible. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that yeah. looks like. <laughs> but no, man, I'm super stoked for Throne of Blood. Um. Yeah, there we go. That's my number seven. Lucky seven. Call me lucky seven. Okay, uh, this film was mentioned earlier. It's a film I thought about doing last year because I want to see it. The only reason I chose not to do it is it seems like a really hard movie to 
right words about it's mm. uh Koyana Skatsi. Oh Because, you know, it's just like images and music and there's nothing else as far as I know. It's just like buildings and slow motion uh, time lapse things going on. I don't know. Have you seen this movie, John? No. The mm. only one of those kinds of movies I've seen is Sam Sarah. Okay. I want you guys to know that I just guessed how to spell Koyanis Quatsi and I got it right. That's nice. tricky because it's got the double A in there. Also, I feel like you said it wrong because you pronounced a U in there, which there isn't in the title. What did I say? You said Koyanis Quatsi. Would you say it like that? Isn't that what I said? Yeah, but isn't that wrong? Who the fuck knows? How would you possibly know? <laughs> I don't Just because it doesn't have a U after it? You don't know how that's how it's said. It's true. <laughs> it's called Life Out of Balance, man. All right. I'm sorry for taking away your golden shining moment. Yeah. This was so cool. I haven't seen this movie. I don't know anything about it. I've just seen that weird ass title and I nailed it. All I know All is right. like this is like the ultimate stoner movie. Well, not the ultimate, but it's definitely a movie I hear about with like stoners watching it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll and see. it's got that Philip Glass music. That's cool. So this guy has done exclusively it? movies with difficult titles. Yeah. I know the Criterion people put out the. The Katsi trilogy. But it's only five minutes. I I was trying to look for. I remember this has some in, involvement from Coppola. I see that American Zotrope was one mm. of the production companies involved. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really intrigued to see how you're going to write about it. Because <laughs> I had to do. Um, it's a different filmmaker, but that guy that did Sam Sarah. He did. What it was his other one too. He does the same kinds of movies <laughs> where it's like just beautiful imagery and i had to do a presentation on that luckily i got to use visuals nice. but it was kind of interesting because you know it, it's kind of fun when you can kind of interpret it in your own way mm-hmm. that's kind of the beauty of film is well how do these what do these images mean to me and how do i feel or you can just be like write one sentence and that's all i have to say <laughs> it was pretty it speaks for itself is is uh, Samsara a Ron Frick movie? Yeah, but he has another one that's just as famous. Baraka. Baraka. I saw that one at um, Cinerama a couple right. years ago. It was <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> Everyone I was there with was stoned. Is there a name for that <laughs> genre of film? <laughs> well, let's see. It probably I think just says non-narrative is, oh, just non-narrative is one of the words. Some, I'm trying to look for a label, but I guess some movies just... Defy label. I can see that Ron Frick is a producer on this movie. Or no, writer? What? <laughs> what are you writing? No, he's okay. This is very interesting now that I'm reading more. Um, he's not a producer, but he's a writer. He's the cinematographer. Hmm. So that must he must have started doing cinematography for like these Regio films, and then did his own films. He's also the editor. So those films are more connected than I thought. Yeah. I'm learning so much because you picked Quagga Squatso. <laughs> You're welcome. Nice. And, uh, one more fun fact about Ron Frick. He was the um, cinematographer for some of these scenes in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uncredited. Wow. <laughs> so that'd be, a, that'd be a fun night. We're going to watch a Baraka and Revenge of the Sith to get my Ron Frick uh, feel. He did the, uh, what did he do? He did uh, some of Mustafar, I think. It's a 
favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Arguably. <laughs> I wonder how much of that was a real place. It seems like That's none of so it would be. He was going to shoot. Sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to go on tangents, but this is just interesting to me. So, worked as cinematographer for parts of the film. Episode 3 was hard to shoot the eruption of Mount Etna in Sicily for use in scenes of the volcanic planet. Did they use real volcano shit in there? <laughs> like, overlaid it or put it in there? I don't know, man. I'm learning about, a lot about this Ron Frick character. <laughs> but I look forward to uh, you doing this. <laughs> That's going to be great. That's going to be great. Uh, we're, we're on eight already? Wow, just flying by. Sean, do you have your eight lined up? Yeah, I do. I've got a question, guys. Okay. Will I like the films of Peter Bogdanovich? Yeah, probably. probably. Yeah. They're pretty likable. <laughs> okay, good, because my next pick is The Last Picture Show. Okay, it's a pretty likable movie. Um, 1971 American film, set in Texas, because if you're making a movie in America, it's probably in New York, Texas, or California, um, the three states. Uh, I know it's a coming-of-age movie. I know it has Jeff Bridges and Sybil Shepard. And Cloris Leachman. Don't forget Timothy Bottoms. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Did he play George Bush on that George Bush show? <laughs> wow. Okay. Cool. That's my Bush. Yeah. I think that's right. John's not saying anything. Oh, no. I, I was, I was looking at something else. Say, you're right. Okay. Great. He also, it's funny because he played him in That's My Bush, but then I remember he also played him in like a direct to video movie about 9 11 that's like super serious. <laughs> yeah. Timothy Bottoms. So I'm going to give that one a, a go. Yeah. I feel like your picks are good, Sean, because they're movies that I haven't seen in a while and I kind of like to watch for a second time. <laughs> It's something that I feel like we don't do enough is talk about the the American New Wave, which is such a cool era of film. I mean, I know we're all big fans of those kinds of movies, but mm. I don't know how to we actually get to write about them. I guess I, I guess Tulane Blacktop maybe could be yeah. part of that. It's just like I've seen all of them. So yeah, I know. I, it's I like, saw them a while ago. It's hard um, to write about them. With it. But, uh, those are all so good. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, so... I remember really liking Ben Johnson. I think he was Oscar nominated. Maybe Oscar winning? Sounds right. For supporting actor? <laughs> oh, no, not Oscars. <laughs> We're trying to get away from that mainstream bullshit. Oscar, Oscar shit. Um, but yeah, that should be a good pick. Uh, my follow-up to that is also an American black and white movie. Hmm. I feel like Sean keeps making these movies and I have very easy transitions. They're either from the same country or just... It's not the same time period at all, but uh, it is a black white American movie. I'm, it's one of those movies that I'm embarrassed that I haven't seen because I feel like it makes me way less cool. And I've never actually seen Stranger Than Paradise. So oh, I picked it. Nice. I have seen Down By Law, so this is one of the first Jim Jarmusch movies. I think he may have had some smaller movie right before this. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is his breakout movie, kind of minimalist. I don't even know what it's about. I know it's got John Lurie, uh, the musician, who's also in Down by Law. And it also has Richard Edson, who was one of the best parts of the Mario Brothers movie, guys. <laughs> Do you remember those two weird uh, brothers? I think they're like the Koopa brothers. <laughs> I didn't know one of them was John Lurie. No, one of them was Richard Edson. Oh, okay. He's, uh, he looks like this. He's got like a mustache. 
Yeah, the yeah. guy's in uh, Do the Right Thing. He's in all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he's one of the sons yeah. with the pizza shop. I didn't actually look up anything. I see people walking around and doing stuff and having quirky Jim Jarmusch conversations. That's pretty much it. I feel like it's another movie with not a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like uh, it's one of our, uh, our our good buddy Michael's favorite I don't have a favorite movies, but a movie he's a huge fan of. So I feel yeah. bad. I don't know if I've ever confessed to him. He might listen to this. That I've never seen it. <laughs> so this is for you, Michael. I'm gonna watch Strange in the Paradise finally, and I'm sure I'll like it. I always like the Jarmouche. Yep, it's another one I've seen once, but I'd <laughs> like to see it again. <laughs> All right. I remember liking it quite a bit. Here, this says uh, the film is shot entirely in yeah in single long takes, with no standard coverage. I wonder how many shots that breaks down into. I, I don't remember it being many. <laughs> All right, let's count. I feel like it, it could be less than 20. <laughs> less than 20 for 89 minutes. Wow. That's cool, though. Yeah. That's experimental. It is cool. It's, it's something where, like, I feel like if you didn't know about movies and you'd be like, this movie's like three shots, you're like, well, that sounds lazy. They just, <laughs> they didn't even, like, move the camera around. Yeah. I'm guessing it, it may have had something to do with it being shot on such a low budget that they were just like, we don't want to do all this coverage because it will cost a lot. So <laughs> just do one shot takes. Sometimes I like that, though. When you, like, Sometimes when you put more restrictions on a project, it forces you to be more creative like yeah. if you're in a room and the door is locked how you getting out you gotta find a window <laughs> yeah. expand your mind you know I've been watching uh, too much quag squat so haven't I I'm gonna have so much fun attempting to say that over and over again without actually ever looking at the title yeah. alright Colin I mean it's York. hard because they probably don't say it in the movie no. so how am I what even know? is that is that is that like a, I wonder what what um, country that has is, or what language that has origin? I wonder if it's like a Native American thing. Sounds like it. It but seems I still like because the know. use of cues, right? That seems yeah. like a Native American thing. Uh, I want that answer, Colin. When you see that, I want you to explain why you think it might be called that. Uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm not gonna have much else to write about, okay. so it's it's probably. And good. I already took your anecdote about <laughs> episode three. Yeah, I got, I got nothing, man. It's just <laughs> four paragraphs right there. <laughs> Okay, uh, you're number eight. Okay, so uh, a little while ago I saw the movie uh, Faces Places, which was a documentary um, made by Agnes Varda and this guy JR, and I have not seen a lot of Agnes Varda movies. The only one I've seen is Cleo from 5 to 7, which is... Um, you know, a movie that kind of got her lumped along with the uh, other French New Wave guys. And I, I really liked, uh, but I don't feel like she's a director where there are really any other movies that are as famous or highly regarded. But um, I saw that our friends, not, not actual friends, but we can call them our friends at Film Spotting, uh, they did an Agnes Varda marathon a little while ago, and it looked like the movie of hers they actually rated the highest was a movie called Vagabond from 1984, and I don't know much about it, it's just about some lady traveling around French wine country, it looks like. Uh, and I don't know. I just wanted to see more Agnes Varda movies because she's a fun lady and she seems to direct good movies. But unfortunately, I've only seen one of them. 
yeah, again, don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's perfectly. I'm okay. looking for anything. That, yeah. Like, oh, well, there you go. I don't know if there is anything to be like. Oh, okay. It's got a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes. That seems to be a recurring. So we're we're doing good, guys, here. on the tomato meter. Yeah, another '80s one for you. Yeah. You said you right. already seen the Clio one. Did yeah. Okay. So you know, stranger. It's a little bit leaner. You, based on your setup, I almost thought you were going to say. So actually, I'm going to watch a movie directed by Jr. <laughs> Has he directed any movies? He's like I a graphic was, artist. It's. A, I was very surprised that, but that seemed to be the direction you were going hmm. in. It was like I've already saw the one that I wanted to see from <laughs> Agnes Varda. So no. Let's see what Jr.'s got. <laughs> That sounds like I'm shit talking, Jr. I think the stuff he was doing in that movie was pretty cool too. Yeah, it was. It was a cool movie. I'm looking up Jr. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that the French title translates to "without roof nor law," mm. which I think sounds like the state of someone who would be described as a vagabond. Mm-hmm. Jr. has made films. Oh, well, I don't think they're on Criterion. <laughs> they don't even have Wikipedia pages. Yeah, that seems like based off of his. Is he like? What is he? Is he a graphic artist? Is he a photographer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, photographer. And it seems like these films are kind of like those projects turned into films somehow. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm gonna stop that. And we're gonna move on back to Sean, number nine, number nine. Uh, yeah. So Colin gave me two Criterion movies for my birthday, and as much fun as it would be to talk about The Rock, um, ooh, maybe I should. <laughs> um, could have. Uh, I'm instead going to make my next pick: uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Probably the longest movie I will be watching this marathon. I didn't actually look at all the runtimes, but I know this one's like two and a half hours long. Um, but it is considered one of the more uh, influential sci-fi films of the 1970s. Um, and, of course, it stars David Bowie, uh, the dearly departed, as, a, uh, as a, a role that's pretty suited for him, especially the way his body was in the mid-70s. <laughs> yeah, he plays um, an alien who uh, comes to Earth trying to get water for his home planet. And... Um, I think he just ends up getting caught up in Earth life. I think he, he like invents technology and falls in love and does a, a bunch of the sci-fi stuff that you want an alien, a likable alien to do uh, uh, on our planet. And um, yeah, as a, as a David Bowie fan, I know that he was working on like a play version of this around the time that he died. Doesn't it, I think the play starred Michael C. Hall? I think you're thinking of that Lazarus, Lazarus play that right. got made, but maybe he wanted him to star in the other one too. I, I thought don't know. isn't Lazarus like also kind of based on the Man Who Fell to Earth? Maybe that's I don't know nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I keep trying to prove you wrong on things, Sean. Maybe everything you just said is right. <laughs> Let me look some of this up. Um gonna be fun to see 70s rip torn too yeah what does that even look like i assume he looks exactly the same yeah that's my guess got the goatee 
Also, Nicholas Rogue is one of those people who I've always meant to check out more of his career. Because you look yeah. at his filmography, it's a very interesting selection of films. You know, he started with um, uh, Performance, that, that Mick Jagger movie, and he did Walkabout and Don't Look Now. Yeah. Is he the, didn't he make that weird movie that's like Einstein and Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and all those famous people hanging out in a room? Yeah, I, I kind of thought about that one. For, yeah, that's, what's uh, that called? Pick. But I just watched Don't Look Now for Halloween. Criterion. I forget it was your rule to try to not yeah, repeat dude, directors too so often. Yeah, even though I kind of did it, but that one's fairly fresh, even though I really love that movie. But yeah. I might sit in on this one too. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna end up watching most of Sean's movies. It sounds like. Okay, so first of all, Lazarus is based on the Man Who Fell to Earth. Okay. Second of all, Welcome to the Jungle, the Guns N' Roses song, mm-hmm. inspired by this movie. Nice. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that fucking you, works. You think uh, it's like a Wizard of Oz, Dark Side of the Moon thing, where if you play <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle over. <laughs> Manny Just that Earth. song? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Appetite for destruction. <laughs> <laughs> and it totally works. I kind of doubt. That'd <laughs> oh, be fucking sweet, out. though. If he's like, <laughs> and he's just like touching down on her. <laughs> And then he just like starts fighting guys when it's. Pretty sure that's not what this movie's like, though. It's probably a little more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> probably not about probably fight, not a fight scene. Not fighting someone within the first thirty seconds. I would. I would love to see at the end, uh, David Bowie fight Rip Torn. <laughs> How sad is that? Rip Torn outlived David Bowie. That's pretty weird. <laughs> Man, can't kill him. There's some great. Philip K. Dick was inspired by this movie. Uh, Watchmen was inspired by this movie. Uh, Michael Fassbender said that his performance in Prometheus was inspired by <laughs> Dave Bowie in this movie. Is Alan Lowe a screen sh- like a still from that movie turned into? Oh, that seems very likely. I feel like I heard that. I'm not sure if it's true. Like a sh- like a picture, or maybe not. Maybe not like a shot from the movie. But maybe like a photograph someone took on set and they turned. I can't even remember if it's a photograph or a painting. But uh, that might be true. I'm just gonna say stuff that might be true. <laughs> This might have been the inspiration for Men in Black. <laughs> Maybe. Why not? <laughs> That's why Rip Torn is also had Men in Black. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find out. It's going to be true. Uh, I would love to hear you dig up more fun facts, Sean, unless you're ready to move on. <laughs> I think Sounds like you're digging up fun facts. I think you can probably keep going on. Like, when I looked at the influences part of that Wikipedia, it's just like there's... Or, like, in, you know, just stuff that happened because of this movie. There's a lot. So. Yeah, I think they're saying Under the Skin was another one. I'm very inspired by this. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. All right, then moving on. Number nine. Uh, so one thing that I said I was going to do, well, been the main thing I said I was going to do, was do a movie from every decade. So I had to do the 20s, which is actually a little harder than I thought because we've actually done a, f- a few 20s mm-hmm. movies so far. We've done Passionate Joan Art and uh, Safety Last and Phantom Carriage and Haxon. Um, so almost all Colin movies. <laughs> I did Hackson, at least. Um, and I don't think we did this one because Colin, you just saved you last, but I don't think we've talked about The Freshman, right? No, I haven't seen it. So I was going to do The Freshman because right. it's uh, another Harold Lloyd movie, but it's 
funny football scene. <laughs> That's all I know about it. He goes to college. I don't know. He looks too old to go to college, but I'll go with it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. He looked older back then. Life uh, is hard. Oh, let's see. He was born in the 1890s, so the math's a lot harder, so I'm not going to think about it. Yeah, so He's definitely older than forty almost, <laughs> probably. But my mom's always like, oh, "I love that movie so much." It's my favorite Harold Lloyd movie, so I figure it's probably worth a bit of a chuckle, and <laughs> that's yeah. something people say. <laughs> and you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've seen a handful of Buster, uh, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. I haven't really um, explored Harold Lloyd colonists. Someone who's probably you have you've seen a film from each of those uh, stars. You know, uh, could you name anything that sets Harold Lloyd apart from the other two? If anything in particular, um, it's kind of the same deal. It's kind of the same deal. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I just remember liking that movie a lot. I just feel like it was really consistently funny. Uh, just yeah, very consistent with the gags, and a lot of them were really inventive, especially the clock tower scene at the end. I don't know if there's something like that in the Freshman. Everything's about this football scene, yeah, apparently. I mean, Harold Lloyd, he strikes me as kind of similar to Buster Keaton in that he's just like kind of a straight man while all these crazy things are happening around him, and he just kind of has to like adjust and like act like he, he's on top of the ball, even though everything's just going to shit. Um, yeah, no, I really liked uh, Safety Last. Yeah, no, I look forward to checking this one out. Be a good college comedy, maybe. <laughs> All right, Colin, you're number nine. All right, this is the third of my 80s picks. I believe <laughs> you've seen this movie. <laughs> uh, it's a Repo Man. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Oh, man, do you know how this movie ends? No. Okay, I, I won't spoil it. Pretty much nothing about this movie, uh, except, you know, stars Emilio Estevez and the, uh, you know, recently departed Harry Dean Stanton. One of his best roles. Yeah, I, I don't know. Sounds like a fun, kind of campy, weird 80s movie. I guess I've kind of been put in the mood from watching Class of 1984 uh, recently. I, I, I don't know what to expect from this, but it sounds interesting. I have only seen the ending of this movie. How yeah. much is the rest of it like that? <laughs> it's not that okay. much like it. That's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Um, I feel like Alex Cox is insane. <laughs> is he? He's from somewhere. He's probably. I think he's British. Yeah. He has a. Uh, is Walker also in the Criterion, the Western film, or is Sid and Nancy in the Criterion? I think Sid and Nancy I, is. He's got a couple for kind of um, from where his career went, and it went to some weird, weird places. There's actually like kind of a kind of a sequel to Repo Man called <laughs> Repo Chick. Hmm. And it is like you just watch the trailer and you're like, this is the biggest piece of shit that I <laughs> possibly could exist because the whole movie is done in on front of green screens, but like very poorly. Yeah. It's done like 2006 or something. What? It looks fucking terrible. It almost seems like he did it just because like I know this is fucking terrible. I'm just oh. gonna give it a shot. <laughs> but it you know it's just funny because he was like so influential in the 80s. Um, but yeah, he sounds like he's a crazy guy, and this is a movie made by a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's part about repoing cars, part about something that goes way deeper, which I think you'll enjoy. Hmm. Looks like produced by Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. Oh. <laughs> which is another, we just throw that to the list of bizarre fun facts about this movie. Um, plus, it has a it has a sweet cover. Cartier, the cover? Oh, yeah. It's like a skull with like a mohawk. Yeah, it's pretty cool. See the circle jerks are in this. I forgot about that. Nice. I would probably like sit in for some of this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Oh man, this has such a good soundtrack. Iggy Pop does the theme song. Yeah. It's got TV party in it. Institutionalized <laughs> suicidal tendencies. Fear. Oh, I hate that song. <laughs> it just, but it's cool that it's in a movie. Come on, Sean. That song was an okay. Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I hate playing that song in rock band. <laughs> uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I want you to watch this, and then please watch Repo Chick and tell me how that is. Have <laughs> you watched it or just? The I, I've only seen the trailer. Okay. Um. But uh, Repo Man's good. Yeah, good yeah. choice. You're uh, number 10, Sean. We're almost done. <laughs> Yay. So my number 10, uh, partially inspired by the fact that I'm watching Harakiri, uh, partially inspired by the fact that John watched, I think it was John, watched a film by this director last year, and I've only seen one by him myself. Uh, and he's someone I'm interested in. Uh, I want to watch as my last pick, 1997's *Taste of Cherry*, an Abbas Kiarostami uh, movie uh, about a man, uh, I believe, in Tehran, uh, in Iran, um, looking for someone to bury his body after he kills himself. And um, that's all. <laughs> Again, that's all I know. Sounds fun. Uh, Is this a traditional narrative movie? I don't know. I did watch. I watched Close Up last year. So you're yeah, correct. yeah. And, and I watched. I've seen Certified Copy, uh, which was really good and really complicated <laughs> in in its uh, execution. Um, I don't think Taste of Cherry is that. I, I see on Wikipedia it's described as okay. a minimalist film. So. Um, that's a fascinating setup. Like someone tells me that, oh yeah, oh, yeah I want to see that. <laughs> uh, yeah, not a, not a huge cast. Looks like it's shot primarily in long takes, like a few of our other picks. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess a very fitting finale for this uh, this marathon for me. Hmm. Uh, again, I want is you that to... is that one that's out of print on Criterion? Oh, I'm sure it is. I think I saw that it was on Filmstruck. Uh, yeah, that's why I, I almost... So so it's good. funny how that like, it will deter me sometimes. Like, eh, yeah. maybe I should. I almost, for my 20s film, picked Nanook of the North. Mm. But uh, wow. I figured that would just be easier. Actually, that's probably like on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like Taste of Cherry, that, isn't, yeah, that does seem like it's out. I don't know why it would be, because it's a more recent... It's a 90s movie. Maybe I'll sit in for that one because I like close-ups so much. It's funny that we keep saying that. How many of these are we all going to sit in on? I don't know. It looks like it's weirdly still in print at Criterion, but only on DVD. They've not moved it up to Blu-ray yet. Hmm. But you can you can buy that blue the DVD from the Criterion website for $23.96, which is a very high price for a DVD, but pretty low price for anything from Criterion. <laughs> yep. All right. They won the going? Palm Door at Cannes. Mm-hmm. Did it get booted all, though? Uh, no. So I think <laughs> that just makes it better than uh, Blue is the Longest Color. That's, Suck that's it. How you, that's how you, how, you, how you do it. All right. Uh, number 10. This is – it's funny because, like, I didn't go in chronological order, sort of jumping all over the place. This is my 90s film. <laughs> that's where I'm ending up for now. And it's a filmmaker that people have been talking about recently because she has a new film out. Uh, this is, I don't know if it was her first movie, but I feel like 
these other ones might be shorts. I don't know. It's um, the the breakout from Lynn Ramsey. It's Rat Catcher, 1999. I uh, don't know a lot about it, um, though I know it's uh, set in Glasgow, Scotland, which is where I believe she's from, in the 70s. And apparently uh, Glasgow during that period of time was kind of in the process of being torn down and remodeled. And this is a coming-of-age uh, film about a boy growing up during that period where it's just like the shittiest town. It's like old Victorian houses that are like breaking apart, fucking rats everywhere. It's I don't know if it's about a rat catcher. I don't think so. But there's definitely sounds like there's rats in there. So I like to see that. And uh, yeah, it just sounds like an interesting uh, setting for a coming-of-age movie. Just this shitty place. Have you guys seen that or know anything about it, Rat Catcher? No, I don't. So, yeah, they, they talk about it on some podcasts that I've seen, or listened to, I mean. It's a close one here, John. I just Googled it, and it said 2000. I was going to ruin your whole I'm thing. I'm going with Wikipedia, But, Sean. yeah, it looks like it came out <laughs> in the UK and at Cannes in the 90s, so you're good. I'm going, you, you always got to trust Wikipedia. <laughs> the only thing I trust more is Wikipedia. Wow. <laughs> Criterion's website also listed as 1999, so that's like the official source. Yeah. Stamp of approval. Um, but yeah, Lynn Ramsey, I've really only seen... What have I seen? I have seen uh, When You Talk About Kevin, which I liked quite a bit. Um, but that was pretty dark. I don't think this is as dark, but we'll see. She's only got a handful of films, so... I look forward to checking this out. Maybe it'll be a nice lead-up to see that before I see You Were Never Really Here. Which is got to be coming out in wide or limited release around here somewhere at some point in time pretty soon, right? Yeah, I thought it was already out, to be honest. Ooh, I don't know. It's probably somewhere. It's maybe he's <laughs> playing at a Sif Theater or something. I don't know. Mm. It's somewhere. I'll probably, probably just end up seeing it on Amazon Prime or something. We'll find <laughs> out. Look forward to that and look forward to watching Ratcatcher. Colin, you're number 10. I feel like mine's kind of similar in that it's a... Uh... I think it's it's either a debut or early film by a director from the UK, uh, coming of age story. It's uh, Fish Tank, uh, directed by Andrea Arnold. I haven't seen any of her movies. She came with the, came out with that uh, American Honey movie like a year or two ago. Oh yeah, I wanted to see that. And uh, yeah, I wanted to see that one too. I think what deterred me from seeing it was it was like a little long. It's it like, long. Yeah. It's like two Same thing hours. Deterred me from seeing it. Forty minutes. Uh, Fish Tank. It's only around two hours, 123 minutes. Uh, yeah, it's just about a 15-year-old girl growing up in, uh, you know, lower class. I don't know. I'll see what's London, but it may not be. Uh, it's got uh, Michael Fassbender, I guess. Probably one of his earlier roles where people were starting to notice him. I don't know. It sounds like kind of a heavy drama, but... Uh, mm. yeah, maybe have you seen it's, this, Sean? It's, I have seen it. Yeah, this. I thought you had... Oh, you have. I didn't know that. I remember Sean mentioning it once. So. Okay. It's it's got heavy parts, but also not heavy parts. Hmm. Cool. Because she's like she's all about dance. Yeah. But also she's like a, a loner and she has she has problems. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cool. Why did you see it, Sean? Film spotting. <laughs> I don't know. Was it part of like a marathon or like what was the deal? I think it was just one of their favorite movies of. 2009 oh wow I guess yeah you can listen to that for long I, I, was li- I was there was a time when I was listening to him every week and taking it very seriously 
Oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, our list. Wow. Does anyone have any films that you almost considered or, you know, just mm. couldn't find room Persona? for? I mean, I have, my, I have my backup list. Yeah. What, what are some of your backups? Uh, Howard's End, oh, just yeah, because, yeah. you know, James Ivory wrote that uh, Call Me By Your Name, and I was like, I've never seen any of the movies he directed, even though they seem pretty boring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm kind of interested to see uh, Heaven's Gate. Uh, the Michael Cimino movie just because it's known as such like a huge flop at being like the movie that kind of ended the new wave of mm-hmm. the Hollywood filmmakers in the 70s sure and it's like three hours long and that's probably what deterred me from watching it but I feel like its reputation has grown like a little more in the years since it was released uh, eh, that's pretty much it <laughs> uh, my only ones were uh, I last year I watched um what was that called? Face of Another by uh, Kyoko Kishida. And I meant to, uh, I was like, after I saw that, which was, that was my favorite movie that I did for the Criterion last, last, last time. I was like, I'm going to see more Kyoko Kishida movies. I still haven't. He only has like, um, well, he has like four or five. They're all on the Criterion collection. They're all kind of like pseudo sci-fi. They just sound really cool. Um, Woman in the Dunes is his most famous one. Some Town in the Desert. I meant to watch... I had the, I was gonna watch that, but like Persona, you know, that was my number one for the '60s. Also, I mentioned Nanook, and then a movie that I almost watched last year and then almost watched again this year was uh, Blowout, because I saw that it has the Yardbirds in it. <laughs> but I saw that scene, so at least I'm good for that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll mention I uh, the Cirque La Rouge yep. can't get it. Uh, also, John Woo's The Killer hard to get now. I thought about that. Um, there are a few that I think Colin owns that I'm interested. I think you own the Sweet Smell of Success. Oh yeah, why and... did you pick that? The movie's fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, maybe next year. And McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I think yeah, another are... really good one. Uh, I don't I... know why I'm complimenting movies I bought. Like obviously I like them. <laughs> oh, I also tried to get some documentaries in, but ultimately gave up on them. Yeah. Um, but F for Fake and Great Gardens are yeah. the top two. And then, like I said, I was going to do a 2000s thing. And so the 2000s movie I, I was interested in were Itumama Tambien, The Piano Teacher, My Winnipeg, and Hunger. Um, but, and I was like, eh, that's, that's, I'm just going to do more of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> well, there's always next year. Trying <laughs> yeah. to take us out? Uh, so thank you for listening. Um, I'll put together a schedule for us, and we're going to do one of these reviews every day in the month of July, except for the 31st, where we'll do some sort of summary conclusion thing. We'll review Repo Chick. Yeah, or review Repo Chick. <laughs> that probably works out <laughs> timeline-wise. That's pretty recent, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, uh, to, to read those reviews, head over to uh, mildlyplease.com um, to hear us talk about other movies. Like, maybe we'll even talk about these movies in some sort of wrap-up podcast. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Mildly Pleased. Uh, thank you so much for suffering through this draft, and we'll speak to you next time. <laughs>